Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the sixth Sunday after Epiphany for the week of February 12th, 2023. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because we get to continue talking about the Sermon on the Mount this week as we are quickly approaching the Transfiguration Sunday, which is next week, and then dive right into Lent. It's all happening so quickly here, but it's an exciting time of the year as we continue to reflect on what does it mean to be the light of Christ in this time, in this period. And when we are contemplating this and working with this, I think there are a lot of things that we need to contemplate. And I think this week, especially being an American, I think this is a hard-hitting topic that we will be getting into as a science tie-in this week. So hang in there. We'll get there. But we first got to get into the question for last week. The question for last week, which was, where are we going to challenge and reimagine our faith? And one of our loyal listeners, I thought, brought up a really good response to this this last week. And I think it's worth kind of bringing out. This person then spent some time on thinking about the golden rule in which we have, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which seems easy. But then we have to remember that others around us, a spouse or anything, are going to interpret that differently and that the world is changing quickly. So we constantly have to be reconsidering what the world is looking for, what the world is needing. So especially the example that this person used was how we used to see, at least here, especially in North America and the United States, that clearing the land for making crops was a good thing. And then now there's... Other factors in which we want to consider is clearing the land or clear-cutting the land or totally disturbing all the land to plant crops really that good of a thing. It's kind of finding that balance and being like a gardener and figuring out what is going to be the best thing versus something that's maybe not as helpful for the long-term success of the planet. And I think it's that balance is super important and a really interesting way of looking at that question is I think as we are looking at faith and as we are looking at what has been done within the church as a whole, I think there's this question of the things that we've done in the past were good for what was done in the past, but we have to also be able to reimagine and rethink Is it still serving us in that way? What have we learned and not necessarily trying to continue to push the same way of doing things because maybe the time of service for that has moved on. It's then allowing us the ability to be able to reimagine, refocus, and go into a new direction. So let's just jump into the text for this week. This is a kind of a fun week because we have alternative first readings and especially where the one alternative reading is coming from. So let's just jump right into it. The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. This text, you can definitely tell it's near the end of Moses' time. Remember, Moses is writing Deuteronomy, and it's kind of this farewell discourse, I guess, in a way of what Moses has kind of done. But he's laying out the idea of prosperity and death and how obeying the commandments of what God has laid before you and observing them is leading in a way of life. And that when the heart turns away from that, that it's easy to be led astray. Remember, what Moses has seen the people continue to go through where they're following God and then not following God and how they've had to wander in the desert and he only getting glimpses of the promised land because of the people 
not wanting to wholeheartedly just follow what God has been laying out. And so this idea then of how we are being called into this and wants to have this relationship with us, but if we don't obey, it makes it very difficult for us to be able to have that communication. So if we turn our hearts to obeying what God is wanting us to do and following where God is leading us, thus it'll make it easier for us to be able to get and to accomplish what God is wanting us to accomplish and following in the footsteps of the ancestors of the ones of the promises that have been laid out before and especially from the time of Moses here of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. The alternative first reading this week is out of Sacra chapter 15 verses 15 to 20. Sacra is part of the Apocrypha. It's part of that section of books that are part of the canon of many churches but don't necessarily always make the Bible which makes it kind of confusing. But these six verses are a very similar idea, similar theme to what we have here in Deuteronomy also that we're trying to keep the commandments and live faithfully and that in doing that we are able to find the life and the wisdom of what God is trying to lay out in front of us and that it's then allowing us to be closer to God and not be able to sin or take us away from the relationship of God, us being able to be in a more close, intimate relationship because of that. The psalm this week is Psalm 119, the first eight verses, one to eight. And this then is when following, what does that look like? That we are blameless because we are trying to walk in the way of the Lord, that we are seeing the heart of what God is trying to do. We're seeing the steadfast love and that we are trying to embed this relationship within us. We are trying to follow as we are commanded and thus being able to live out this way closer to what we have been instructed and steered toward that we should be led toward. The epistle text or second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first nine verses. And this is a text I would argue that easily could be the meat and potatoes of a gospel this week. And I think it plays really well with the Deuteronomy text and where we'll be getting to with the Matthew text. But I think this is one of the hard hitting ones. And especially for what I'll be talking about this week, this is kind of a text that I'm really using a lot. So this is that continuation of Paul talking to the people in Corinth. And one of the things that really stood out to me was verse two. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? This idea here in verses two and three of there is so much more that is wanting to be given, but yet are we ready for it? Paul gets into the quarreling that is going on. I belong to Paul. You belong to Apollos. Who is giving the insight to these people? It's God. God is giving them the growth to be able to eat, preach and to help lead these people. It's not that you're following these people. You're following God that has embedded the Holy Spirit within them. And so it's not worth this bickering of who are you following? You are following Christ. You are following who has embedded this stuff within you. And I know coming from a 21st century viewpoint, there's parts of us that feel like this doesn't relate to us, but I would argue in a lot of ways it does because we also will argue about, I belong to this church instead of saying the church. I belong to this church, not that church because this church is better. Yeah, it might be better for where you're at in your faith journey at this moment, but it doesn't mean that 
the faithfulness of what God is doing is any less important that's going on at the other church. And so it's this idea of what Paul is building on here. The gospel text then this week is out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. This continues kind of where we left off last week, and it's this idea of how Jesus is telling us to continue to build upon the ideas of what has been laid out before. And this is where it kind of plays well with what Paul was laying out, that I want to give you more, but you're not ready for it. The listeners, and I think even us still today, listening through what Jesus is laying out here, it's not an easy message. It's not easy to absorb. There is a lot to mull over and chew on. So starting even in verse 21, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But Jesus then digs into talking about the liability of us holding on to that guilt or holding on to jealousy and holding on to these things that this is in a similar manner to that, that we are essentially not letting it go. We are not giving forgiveness. We are not letting it go on. Instead of us holding on to it, it's actually preventing us from being able to see part of what God is trying to have within his creation because we are so reluctant to letting it go. This is where then we also get into, and especially for people who've gone through a divorce, these next 10 verses can be really difficult. The starting in verse 27, that you shall not commit adultery, and talking about how adultery isn't just the physical act. It's also the visual, it's the lust part of it within our own hearts that when we are imagining and visualizing and putting all that within our own brain, that is that same thing. And that's is where Jesus then is saying, well, then you should be trying to depart that from you, cutting off these different limbs so that you do not have to go through this. And then verse 31, whoever divorces his wife should give her a certificate of divorce. But then we get into this thing of how Jesus is, and this is where it gets very difficult, this committing adultery even after a divorce has happened because there hasn't been a uniting within the faith. And I think it's one of these things too where personally I think there are times where yes divorce does make sense but I think it's also recognizing that marriage is meant to also be a sacred thing of a uniting of two people together and that they're coming together spiritually as well and it's recognizing that and I think that's part of what this is getting into and so this continues on that theme of what Jesus has been talking about coming back even the last week of these commandments of what we've been given there is a deeper level that God wants us to get into and we need to be able to absorb the first part to be able to get into this deeper part of being able to process then what is the long-term implications of this what does this really mean and how does this impact our relationships around us so before we jump into how faith and science come together this week we have to do shameless plugs full working preacher if you have a traditional working preacher I'd highly recommend it between their sermon brainwaves podcasts their commentaries or discussions since I'm not an ordained minister I use them on a weekly basis to be able to see the different discussions commentaries podcasts all these different things from different biblical scholars on how they're interpreting these texts. And it helps give a lot of insight onto how to potentially look at and think about these texts in a different creative way. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy not only how they lay out the text week to week, but I also enjoy that they have hymns, colors, prayers, but also the art. We have talked about it. It's so important to be able to see how different people have interpreted these texts artistically throughout time and space. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Making this decision of following the Lord 
am continuing into the commandments and the teachings of what God has been leading us into in that relationship is what how I see the Sacra and Deuteronomy texts. And then we have the freedom that comes from that in the Psalms. And then you get the heavy hitters of Matthew and 1 Corinthians this week, but there's more here than just the simple catch line. There's more on how this continues to affect, and the deeper that you get into this relationship, the more and more you understand how complex, in a beautiful way, this actually is. And is that not like the relationships that we have day to day? That we realize that as we get to know people, how complex they are, how complex relationships can get from understanding the people that you are around, how they're going to react to different situations is so important. And I think it's one of the things that we often underlook ourselves. But there's also one of the things, like I stated when going through these texts initially this week, in 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 2 and getting into verse 3, this idea of how we get fed this milk, but there's still more solid food that is meant for us, but we have to be able to digest the milk. And especially us being mammals, realizing that we start by nurturing and suckling the initial milk coming from our parents. And in that, then we are able to evolve into eating solid food and that we shouldn't just be stuck at the suckling phase, that we need to be able to continue to develop that relationship enough that we are able to get to the solid food stage. And that is what Jesus is laying out at the Sermon of the Mount, these hard-hitting, deep meals. And it's the question of, are we actually ready for it? And I would argue, in our modern world, there is one thing that I think is preventing us from being able to get to this solid food. And it's something that all of us try to do, should be doing every night, and yet the numbers and statistics are showing more and more that we don't actually do it as well as we should. Have you figured out what I'm talking about? The simple thing that we should be doing every single night is sleep. How many of us struggle with this idea of sleep and making sure that we get enough of it? As coming from the our government here in the United States of health.gov, newborn babies are supposed to get 14 to 17 hours a day. Babies, 12 to 16. Toddlers, 11 to 14. Preschoolers, 10 to 13. School-aged children, so elementary school-aged children, 9 to 12 hours a day. Teenagers, one of the difficult brackets, 8 to 10 hours. And most adults need about 7 hours. And I was also seeing in other places 8 hours of sleep ourselves. And as adults, most likely listening to this, how often do we actually give ourselves that type of sleep? And the scary thing as I was looking at this and thinking about this and questioning, is this something that is preventing us from actually getting into deeper solid food? I started realizing more and more when looking at this that one, this is very scary stuff that we're dealing with here. As you look into all the studies that have been done on sleep and what it does to the body, and we'll get into in just a moment. But two, yes, because I think it in a way, it prevents us from actually being able to hear what God is saying. We have been able to recognize that within our bodies, if you take a group of people who do an all-nighter versus those who are sleeping eight hours, there is a 40% reduction in the ability to learn, period, for people who have pulled an all-nighter just to be able to learn. And this is one of the things that they are recognizing and looking at. It's not even just the night before. It's a couple nights before. And thinking about it like a sponge, that in order for us to be able to recall, we have to be rested enough to be able to absorb. And then that sleep, one of the things that they're recognizing is that we have these brain waves 
and sleep spindles is kind of the transfer unit that is moving us from short-term memory, which is a very volatile memory, kind of like RAM on a computer, and moving it into long-term storage is going through these brainwaves and sleep spindles. And if we aren't allowing ourselves to do that, it makes that memory more likely to be lost. And the scary thing that they're finding with this, one of the things, is that a lack of sleep is being linked to diseases like dementia and aging. That when they're looking at brain waves in and of themselves, and that being the transfer unit, that as we get older and the aging process, these deep sleeps and seeing these brain waves starts to slowly disappear. And so if we're able to make sure that we're doing this sleep, we then are allowing ourselves to actually be finding a fountain of youth in a certain way that we are able to live longer. I was listening to a tech talk from Paul Walker, who is a sleep scientist. And again, I'll attach the links down below. But one of the statistics, and he brought up male genitalia and how people get less sleep versus those who get more sleep, even just in the physical size, is smaller with less sleep. But one of the things that I found really interesting was this. Men who sleep four to five hours a night have levels of testosterone that are usually about 10 years their senior, that they're aging a decade because they're getting four to five hours of sleep. This, to me, is just kind of a, wow, that's kind of crazy to think about. And as we are looking at all this, we're seeing this interrelatedness that all of this has. And the problem is, is especially within the culture that we're in, well, we'll just use sleeping pills. We'll just use drugs. The difficult thing with that is that's a blunt force tool, and it really doesn't allow for natural sleep cycles. So thus, it really isn't helping us. Another way that they've been able to study and see how sleep really does affect us is looking at daylight savings time, where you have this kind of natural experiment going on where 70 plus countries do this throughout the world. And what we've been able to notice is in the spring, when you lose an hour, there's a 24% increase of heart attacks the next day. And this profile also kind of, remember, it also kind of mimics within car accidents and suicide rates that then and also in the fall when we get one hour more of sleep the reduction in heart attacks is 21 percent so this idea of how necessary the sleep is and how sleep deprived we actually are one of the other studies that i found is since the 1940s americans are sleeping one hour less on average that's in less than 100 years we are sleeping an hour less and the issue then also gets into the immune level that we have these natural killers cells which are designed to go in and kill dangerous unwanted agents or cells within the body think of it kind of like a james bond within our body with one night of four hours of sleep the reduction in these natural killer cell activity is 70 percent and that we are recognizing that there is significant links being made to sleep deprivation and different risks of cancer. And the ones that we, so far we have been able to show significant links and evidence for is bowel cancer, prostate cancer, and breast cancer. The World Health Organization has seen this also as so much as that they are seeing nighttime shift work as a probable carcinogen. This all gets just continues to get scary because then it all also, short sleep equals short life because we are also seeing how it affects our DNA. One week of six hours of sleep compared to naturally getting eight hours of sleep, we are seeing that gene activity 
react in very unique ways, that there is 711 genes that are distorted in their activity because of the lack of sleep. Half are increased, half are decreased in the amount of activity. The ones that are increased are tumor-producing, inflammation-producing, and cardiovascular disease, and those are all linked to these genes. The ones that are decreased are the immune system, as we kind of talked about before. We as Homo sapiens are the only species that are willing to sleep deprive our own selves and Mother Nature has never had to deal with this. And this is even seen within our amygdala, which is kind of a how we process emotions. If we have a lack of sleep, we are noticing that it's super responsive, thus making it that because the communication with the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of the CEO of our brain, and is trying to be able to process this stuff, it just gets emotional. And in doing that, we are just more in an emotional state, whereas if we get normal sleep, it's not near as active. Part of this also gets into the hypothalamus that its whole job is to be producing chemicals like cortisol during the day and then melatonin at night and being able to regulate those in the hypothalamus. But if we're not allowing that, we are also then having the, the remnant of adenosine build up, which is the byproduct of ATP, which is the energy within our own bodies to be able to do things, to be able to live our lives. These type of things are messing up our whole body and being able to actually live to the full potential of who we are called to be. This this doesn't even bring into the aspect of circadian rhythms, which is our body's natural clock lining up with daylight cycles and how much artificial light sources have also played with our ability to be able to even naturally cycle up together and being able to naturally have a natural body cycle. And thus, here lies some of these different problems. And as we talked about, it doesn't just stop at dementia or different things. I was finding continual places of stroke, depression, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all being linked to these sleep deprivation. Why is this so important? Why is this tie in so well with this? The question that I have within our own selves is, if that is the case, and we're not even allowing ourselves to get the sleep that our own body needs, how do you think we're able to actually be able to absorb and process the difficult messages like we have in Matthew or in what is being referenced in 1 Corinthians of being able to actually have solid food? Our body needs this time to be able to process, put things in the memory, to be able to continue to work on things. One of the additional things that I did find that is interesting is sleep is what they're also saying it's not time that heals all wounds, it's probably sleep because there's natural like soothing balms to take the edge off of difficult situations to be able to help us process. And thus, it's also partially based off of getting that sleep. The amygdala is able to settle down and not be as hyperactive. How are we able to be able to process the things that what God is trying to teach us if we can't even do the simple things to take care of ourselves? If we are able to just see the quarreling and get into the quarreling, which to me, what Paul is talking about almost sounds like some sleep-deprived people who are just quarreling because their amygdalas are overactive because they haven't gotten enough sleep. And we don't have it in the text this week, which I feel is kind of a shame, but how often we hear about dreams and visions. How are we going to have these dreams and visions if we never allow ourselves to be able to sleep and to rest and to recoup? The messaging and, and the stuff that is talked about in Matthew and 1 Corinthians is hard-hitting stuff. It's not easy to process. It takes a lot of work. And if we are called into that work, that means we need to be able to have times to process, which means we have to have times to sleep. We need to have time to rest 
to think, to contemplate, to be able to put this stuff in the long-term memory, to be able to keep working it. Otherwise, it's literally in one year, out the other, because it stays in short-term, and it's very easily gone. The studies show more and more that we sleep-deprive ourselves. We literally get to a point where we can't really take anything additional in. So how are then we working? We're just filling space and not being able to remember it. We're trying to put too much into our day and not being able to actually absorb what God is trying to tell us. If we are to become the people to follow God and get into this deep relationship with him, we then also need to be able to value the creation of what God has made our own bodies. And if our own bodies is recognizing that we are not getting enough sleep, that we are not able to maintain it, that it's literally pre-aging us, that it's literally causing disease and hurt and harm, why aren't we then allowing ourselves to actually get that sleep? Why aren't we allowing ourselves to actually get that rest? Because then what we're also doing is we're keeping God at an arm's length because we are not able to actually process the deep messaging and be able to get the solid food because our own body isn't ready for it. We have to be able to sleep and to rest to be able to even absorb this food. How are we able to interpret the powerful message of what Christ did for us and the amazing thing of what it was if we can't even give ourselves the ability to process what is going on because we're not giving ourselves the sleep to be able to recoup our bodies to fight the enemies within our own bodies that we aren't even allowing the prefrontal cortex or the CEO of our brain to ever shut down that's one of the things that they're realizing and hypothesizing is that Sleep is the only time that the prefrontal cortex actually shuts down. If we are to be a people of dreaming dreams and having visions, we then have to allow ourselves to be able to get to that space and to be able to be in a space to be able to actually receive the messaging. Jesus in Matthew is challenging us to a deeper relationship. First Corinthians is challenging us to this deeper relationship. We see in the psalm what this relationship looks like how freeing it actually can be and how important it is we see in Sakura and Deuteronomy. Are we preventing that because we're not allowing ourselves to sleep? We're not allowing ourselves to rest. That we have been fed a lie of more and more and more. I would argue that there's a possibility of yes. And this message of sleep and rest is a hard-hitting one just like what Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Brothers and sisters of Christ, I think we really need to take this to heart. And this is myself included. I thought of this whole idea of looking into sleep because I sleep deprived myself this last week. And I felt the effects for days. How often we do that to ourselves, us being the only mammal that was willing to do that. And the scary thing is not only what it's doing to my body and the data showing more and more how hard it is for my body to actually do that. But I think what kicks it off is it sounds like it also limits my ability to be able to actually hear and listen and go where God is steering me to go. It's limiting what God can do with us as a people because we sleep deprive ourselves and we almost wear it as a badge of courage. So the question I have for you this week is, have you ever looked at sleep as a holy thing? Have you ever looked at sleep as a holy thing? Because as I'm looking at this and hearing about how do you get better sleep, it sounds eerily similar in certain ways to how we walk out this faith. Hear me out. So tips for falling asleep, according to a sleep scientist, regularity, cooler temperatures, getting the body in a space that it makes it easier to fall asleep, us getting us into a space that's easier for us to be able to connect with God, darkness, 
If we don't ever experience the darkness, how do we actually experience the light? How are we able to actually see the light of Christ going in our lives if we are constantly surrounded by light? We don't actually know what artificial light is versus the true light and we don't actually know what darkness is and can't even spot it. If we're having trouble getting up and walking around and doing something else and then going back to bed when you're actually tired. Making sure that if the routine is feeling stale, then do something else to revitalize the relationship. Avoiding caffeine and alcohol because it can make it harder to sleep. Avoiding things that's going to separate and make it harder for us to get in that connection with God. And develop a wind down routine. Develop a way that you are connecting with God regularly. Sleep is a holy thing. We need to value it and treat it as such. And in a world that seems to not value it and seems to try to value pushing and getting as much out of every moment as we possibly can and sleep is something that we can do when we're dead, the studies are showing that no, it leads us to death. And if we are called to be people of the light and called to be people that live our lives differently, I'm challenging us to value sleep and take it and see it as a holy endeavor. And then we might really be able to see and hear what God is really wanting from us. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.